Welcome to Nancy's Bookshelf, a weekly program of conversations with North State and national writers from North State Public Radio. Now here's your host, Nancy Wickman. Today's first guest is an author, freelance writer, tennis player, biker, and a lover of outdoor fun. And she's been a massage therapist since 1997. Catherine Reed was an editor at the San Francisco Chronicle before moving to Lake Tahoe in 2002. In March of 2021, she moved to Chico to live with her mom, who was a survivor of the 2018 campfire. She published her first book in 2019, The Dirt Around Lake Tahoe, Must Do Scenic Hikes. Her latest book is Sleeping with Strangers, an Airbnb host's life in Lake Tahoe and Mexico. Catherine Reed, welcome. Thank you for having me. Now, I think you usually go by Kay. True. Yes, uh, I do. So I'm going to call you Kay then. Sounds great. If somebody wants to look up your book, it's under Catherine Reed. And the title, (laughs) Sleeping with Strangers, (laughs) I'm sure somebody's walking through the bookstore and say, what? Sleeping with Strangers? Well, you know, uh, if you don't get them at the title, you'll never get them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how did you get started in such an activity? Well, being an Airbnb host came about, um, I was ending a 12-year relationship, and I needed a way to pay the mortgage. And I didn't want a full-time roommate because I thought, I'm stuck with that person forever, if the, you know, seemingly forever. Um, And so I thought about going the Airbnb route and having different strangers coming and going from my house. And so that's uh, came about to help pay the bills. That's pretty bold. <laughs> or, or crazy, and, <laughs> yes. and but it, it, it worked. Well, now, you're a relative newcomer to Chico, and I've been wondering what kind of adjustment that was. If you wrote for the San Francisco Chronicle, you're used to urban areas or you go outdoors. So has this been much of an adjustment to live in Chico? The biggest adjustment has been the heat. I, um, having lived in Tahoe for almost 20 years, we put up with the winter so we can have wonderful summers. And the summers here are, um, I feel like I'm more indoors than outdoors. And so that's been a huge adjustment. Well, uh, you came, because, and I mentioned it as I introduced you, came after the campfire or because of the campfire. So uh, is your mom doing okay? Mom is great. She's uh Healthy, wonderful. We do lots of fun things together. Well, uh, one reason I ask about Chico is because you had quite a few adventures when you were hosting people in your Airbnb. For example, uh, most people don't have to call the police. Well, I hope most people don't have to call the police. Um, That that was, and in fact, there are times when I maybe should have called the police a couple other times um, besides the one time in Mexico when I did. I, I, the one I regret not calling the police on was when the three um, women came and stayed, and, I'm, it was, and this was in Tahoe, and I was only supposed to have two guests. And I, I wonder if that third woman, if there was some trafficking going on, and that's my regret when I didn't call the police. Well, I'm not sure. I've stayed in a lot of Airbnbs, so I, but I'm not sure other people who have not perhaps know how it even works. How does Airbnb work? How did you, uh, do you register with this company? How does that work? Uh, You do. You go up and you, you, put up a, a profile and both as a a guest or a host. Um, So as a guest, you're just putting in your they, they prompt you with the information to put in, and as a host, you kind of go about the same route, and then you put up your house, and you do the type of listing, and the type of listing I had in Tahoe was where it was a shared rental, so people were staying inside my house just a couple feet um, down the hall from me, and then in Mexico, I had an outside separate entrance, so I was upstairs, and they were downstairs, but they had the whole their whole space um, and then there's all sorts of rentals. You know, it's it's the company started 
with the founders um, in San Francisco having people stay on their uh, air mattresses, and that's where the air comes from. That's I didn't know that, that it's called Airbnb because originally people slept on air mattresses. Right. So um, you uh, contact Airbnb and say, I want to be a host. And the ones that I've stayed in have all been quite different. There's one that I've stayed in a lot. I've really lived there. <laughs> Because I was remodeling a house, and the Airbnb was a four-minute walk from the house that was being remodeled. Well, of course, COVID comes along. That comes to a standstill. But I was thinking, oh, good. I get to stay longer in this Airbnb. (laughs) In fact, as the house progressed, I thought, I really like living in this Airbnb. Became really close friends with the hosts. So uh, I'm sure you uh, had a whole range of experiences with your guests. I did. And I... Most of them were good experiences, and most I would, you know, welcome back if I still had an Airbnb to uh, come stay with me again. There were just one couple who I really did make friends with and and still keep in touch with them. But otherwise, they just sort of come and go in your life for that time period. My guest is Kay Reed. Uh, Her author's name is Catherine Reed. Her book is Sleeping with Strangers, an Airbnb host's life in Lake Tahoe and Mexico. And you somewhat described the two different um, facilities that you have, and they are quite different. The climate, of course, is quite different (laughs) in the two. So you must have had different clientele. How did they differ, the people who came, say, to Lake Tahoe versus um, Todos Santos in Mexico? In Lake Tahoe, it was a lot of Bay Area people and coming in the Sacramento area, just mostly Northern California. They came for a night, a weekend at most, usually, sometimes a little longer, but usually it was a weekend uh, coming to, you know, ski, obviously, in the winter and then just enjoy the lake and the hiking in the summer. Um and in down in, in Baja, people came for longer. It was usually week-long stays, you know, little older people um, throughout uh, Western U.S. And, and then in Canada as well were mostly the people. And it, it seemed like, you know, with coming from, coming for a week or so to Mexico, you got a little older clientele. Um, and you got a much younger um, demographic in Tahoe, which I think also spoke to the the type of settings that I had where if you have a little bit more money, maybe you're not paying to, to share um, the as much space as I you had to share with me in, in Tahoe. Well, I lived for a while in a third world country, and you could not rely on things like uh, power, electricity, <laughs> and and water, uh, taking care of the water sources. So you must have had different kinds of problems to solve in the two different places, in South Lake Tahoe versus in uh, Baja, Todos Santos, Mexico. I did, but I still had, I still had issues in both. Um, my furnace went out um, in Tahoe on New Year's weekend, with uh, paid gas um, arriving, so luckily I had a um, wood fireplace and borrowed a space heater and, and kept them warm. And they never um, they, they understood the problem. You know, it's not like I knew about this ahead of time. It it was um, dying as they were arriving. Um, and then, so they uh, probably just viewed it as a part of the adventure. They did, and that's what they called it. And so, you know, they also had a hot tub they could go warm up in, and that hot was another difference. And, um, for example, the amenities that you have, uh, which should allow you to charge a little more, I would think. Say in Lake Tahoe, if another Airbnb did not have a hot tub, for example, you could um, charge a little more. Did it work that way? It did, and I think the hot tub was a huge selling point. So, but then in, you know, in Mexico, you just don't ever know when the power is going to go out. (laughs) And, but I never, that wasn't a huge issue. It was more that I had problems with the hot water heater that was old and it finally got replaced and a refrigerator that was brand new that then um, malfunctioned. And it was, you, you, it was 
you had warm water, putting a cup of water in the uh, refrigerator. It was better to just have it sitting out. And and again, guests were arriving on the day I'm trying to get the refrigerator repaired. And it, it wasn't um, good that I'm not fluent in Spanish. So um, you know, that added to my problems with having to uh, get help. My guest is Catherine Reed, Kay Reed, and she has written a book about her experiences as an Airbnb host. The title of the book is Sleeping with Strangers, an Airbnb host's life in Lake Tahoe and Mexico. We'll be back to continue our conversation after a short break. You're listening to Nancy's Bookshelf on North State Public Radio. I'm Nancy Wigman. I'm Nancy Wigman, and you're listening to Nancy's Bookshelf on North State Public Radio. I'm back with my guest, journalist Kay Reed, who has written a book about her experiences hosting Airbnbs. So uh, you had a lot of adventures (laughs) (laughs) as an Airbnb host, and I got to see, since I stayed with who became friends for a long period, like three months at a time, uh, I could see the things that they ran into, the situations that they ran into. And most of the time, the guests were so uh, accommodating, so pleasant. And the children, sometimes uh, the guests would have children. And the ones that I would interact, just say good morning to at breakfast, were all very nice and well-behaved. But that wasn't the case necessarily when you were hosting. No, that that is true. I um Fortunately, didn't have children in um, Tahoe, but in um, in Todos Santos, the Airbnb uh, you have to the cutoff is twelve. It's twelve and older can um, can come without you saying they can't. But I said yes to a couple who had, I believe, it was a nine year old and a twelve year old, and. He was just a screaming child. He and his father had yelling matches. It was more like he was yelling and the father was calm. And and my dog even reacted to this child in a, a negative way. So I kept them apart, not knowing uh, what all went on. But um, And then there was another couple who wanted to bring their adult children, I believe they were like 18 and 19-year-old sons, and um, wanted me to create like a third bedroom. And this is, you know, I had a, in a house in Mexico that was for sale, so I couldn't really be... Now, that's something we haven't mentioned, that uh, you're hosting uh, clients in this Airbnb in Mexico, but at the same time, this place was up for sale. Right. So this was uh, family members owned the house, and I was essentially their Airbnb manager. Um, and so th- it had to look presentable because people could be coming in at any time. And so that added another little wrinkle that probably most Airbnb to has. To make you nervous. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, you just don't know how people are going to leave the the house and, you know, what I considered presentable and what they considered presentable were uh, not always the same when I started looking. Yeah, because I always try to be a good guest and keep the place neat and as if I were what I would do in my own home. And when I read some of your descriptions, I wonder, was that's how they are in their own home? Well, you do wonder. And then, you know, I think it makes a difference of how long you're staying. You know, like if you're staying for months, 
you are really living there versus a week's vacation. And it's just like, oh, whatever. In fact, because I would stay a long time, I got laundry privileges. I got to use the washer dryer there. And um, that wasn't always, in fact, (laughs) you would wonder somebody would come in the first day, they'd have dirty laundry. That just shocked me. They did two loads of laundry, and I'm, I didn't understand it. I mean, I clarified with them that this was their first day of vacation, and they said yes. So I have no idea why they were doing laundry. And, and multiple times in person and in writing um, expressed how water is precious down in Baja. It's, uh, you know, it, it is throughout California, as we know as well, but it, it's worse down there in terms of um, the scarcity of it. You know, something else that uh, would be frustrating, I think, for you is that you write these things down. When the guests come in, there are so many things that are in writing that are important for them to know, and they don't read them. <laughs> I, I, I think reading and reading comprehensions are lost, are lost arts. Um, not only were they written on the website of things. You know, Before uh, they even would arrive there. Right. Place. So they have, when they hit the approve button, they said that they've read all the house rules. And clearly they hadn't. And then it, the, the key things would be written um, in a book for them when they arrived. And still they were asking questions or, or doing things they weren't supposed to be doing. Questions that were answered had they read your written information. Exactly. Now, one thing that you included because of your interest in the outdoors and your expertise in hiking and snowshoeing, uh, you were a source of, for example, Lake Tahoe. People could ask you, well, what is there to do here? Right. And that was the fun part, you know, to share the aspects of Tahoe that I absolutely love, which is um, to get out in your hiking boots or snowshoes and um, explore. And so I had this huge binder for them to uh, utilize for for ideas of um, places to go and it also had uh, restaurant suggestions and, and other things to do in the area. Well, I mentioned that you never knew what might come up, what kind of adventures were in store. And for, there was a time when you had to take a hammer to the <laughs> guest room's door. How did that come about? Oh, well... The guests stayed, and they locked the bedroom door. And I had lived in this house for 12 years and had no idea there was a lock on that bedroom door. Um, So my handyman was out of town for the weekend. It was, again, another holiday weekend where these seemingly (laughs) disasters are happening. And... I didn't want to call a locksmith, and I knew I was going to be replacing those interior doors. So I tried everything I could and finally just took a hammer to it and made a little hole and reached around and able to open the door. But it shows that, you know, you probably shouldn't be locking doors if you don't have the key for it on you. So they inadvertently, your guests, locked themselves out of their room. Right. They inadvertently locked themselves out. I guess they thought I, I mean, they deliberately locked it. Mm-hmm. But they must have thought that I was going to have a key for it, even though they knew they didn't have a key. They only had the single key for the front door. My guest is Catherine Reed, Kay Reed, and she has written a book about her experiences as a host of an Air, of a, two Airbnbs. The title of the book is Sleeping with Strangers. And the two setups in uh, South Lake Tahoe and uh, Baja, Todos Santos, Mexico, were slightly different. So you had maybe more privacy in one than in the other? I did. Um, you know, in Tahoe, it, you know, it really it is a ranch-style house, so it's just down a hall, and the bedrooms were, you know, maybe five feet apart from each other. So you could be running into somebody uh, coming out of the bathroom and, you know, they're in your space or they're in your kitchen and they're in your living room and they're in your hot tub and they're in your space. Um, But I invited them and uh, they were paying, but still they were always there. Um, In 
So you didn't have your kitchen to yourself. They had kitchen privileges. They had minor kitchen privileges. I did not want them to be cooking anything because as a vegetarian, I didn't really want the smell of meat in the house, and I didn't want it all over my utensils and pans and pots and, and whatnot. And um, But they could, you know, store anything in the refrigerator and, you know, say they had leftovers. And a lot of people, like skiers, brought up um, – things to make sandwiches, and they could reheat things in the microwave. But I asked them not to cook. Didn't always work. So sometimes <laughs> I came out and was smelling food being cooked, and we just had a little talk. But that went back to how people don't read things of, of what they have. Well, you mentioned the smell of food cooking, but there's a smell that used to be prevalent, and that is cigarette smoke. Used to be on airplanes and in hotels, and now that's not the case. Or is it because I would imagine you ask guests not to smoke inside? I did ask them not to smoke inside, and then when I saw them smoking outside, it and didn't have a um, they didn't have any place to put it out the cigarettes out, and I don't know where they put them out. And you know, depending on the the time of year, it's um, you know. It's a fire hazard. And I then said no smoking anywhere. And I know people smoked in the Mexico house as well. And um, I saw, I found cigarette boxes uh, later. And I also saw them smoking and I didn't say anything. And I, those was one of the times I regretted and times I, you know, didn't have appropriate boundaries. And, um, but they'd been really nice to me and helped me with my refrigerator incident. And, um, you know, I bad judgment on my part. Well, uh, there are mainly two B&Bs that I've stayed, and each of these hosts had two dogs. And the dogs are so, so much a part of our staying there because I happen to be a dog lover. And uh, the one, the more recent one next to the house was remodeling. Uh, took rescue dogs, and one of them was just a sweetheart, and the other had been so maltreated before they got him that he was, uh, she, uh, was was kind of a problem. I felt so sorry for this dog. But now your dog, too, I um, sometimes thought, oh, poor AJ. <laughs> and then sometimes I thought, oh, how nice. <laughs> now, I'm thinking uh, <laughs> particularly, for example, men in f who were wearing flip-flops. That was so weird. She had um, this issue with, and it was in Tahoe of all things, you know, that men would come in and the... You'd the think Mexico would be where you'd find flip-flops. Right. Well, we had plenty of those too, but she didn't have a problem with them there. And I think part of it was just the, how people were introduced um, to, or she was introduced to the people in the in the Tahoe house. It was sort of like they were already in and they were in the foyer and it was, you know, a little narrow and she just would kind of almost like nip at their feet. And, and each time I that happened, I'm like acted surprised as though it was the first time <laughs> oh, this really? has ever happened. Did she do that? <laughs> and just would take her outside and, you know, everybody was good. And But I don't know what that was about. Um, you know, she, she never shared with me. But you... Uh Kind of say she shared hostess duties with you. She sure did. So uh, how did um, how did people react when they came in? Oh, there's a dog here. Well, most of the time it was fine because she was in my profile picture. You have to list that there is a dog on the property. Um, so there's. You know, there sh it should not have come as a as a surprise that there was a dog in the house, and but people were surprised there would be the dog hair, even though it's been cleaned. But if you live with a dog, you cannot get up every piece of dog hair, and there were people who were scared of her, and so that just went back to showing that people aren't reading um, what's what going on, right? Um, I might mention the the covers on your book, the front cover as a picture of a bed with the sheets there kind of messed up. That's on the front cover. On the back cover is this lovely house. It's obviously the one that's in Mexico, and it's very attractive. Thank you. 
And then there's a picture of AJ, <laughs> your lovely dog, and you say on the back cover, AJ the dog played co-host on this adventure, sizing up those with the suitcases, questioning men in flip-flops, and easily making friends with those who would slip her human food. <laughs> you know, I wish that the picture of the dog had been bigger even because <laughs> what, uh, just describe for people what AJ looked like. Well, AJ, she was about 35 pounds, and she's part yellow lab, part greyhound, and things I don't know. And um, she died in February at age 19. So. That's quite old for a dog. Yes, you were lucky. It is. I think you were lucky. I was lucky. <laughs> we were both lucky. Yes, she was a, a big part of the whole Airbnb um, experience for me. And she has her own chapter in the whole book. Yes. Um, you mentioned on your back cover that some guests were like friends while others would never be welcomed back. That's understandable. But you tell these stories about these guests and about your adventures as an Airbnb host, which you don't do now, currently. You don't do that anymore. Correct. But I did want to remind people that, um, and, and you have this information on your back cover, that you are an award-winning journalist and author of Lake Tahoe hiking and snowshoeing books. So if people are interested in that, maybe they want to go spend some time up there, they might check out your books on uh, hiking and snowshoeing. And you also say you're happiest when in the outdoors and traveling and then sharing those experiences through her words. Exactly. Sums it up. Well, I think people would get a kick out of reading th these adventures because we didn't go into everything that... Uh, no, th <laughs> there's a lot guests. in there. <laughs> <laughs> ...that happened with these various guests. They also might want to read some of your books about the outdoors. Exactly. If you, uh, if you like Lake Tahoe, um, hiking and snowshoeing, and then combine those two books into to one. So I'll remind, thank you, Catherine. Uh, the book is Sleeping with Strangers, an Airbnb host life in Lake Tahoe and Mexico. The author is Catherine Reed. Thank you, Kay. Thank you. After a break, I'll be talking to author Louise Wagonette, who has written a book, White Poplar, Black Locust. It's one of a trilogy of books she has written. You're listening to Nancy's Bookshelf on North State Public Radio. I'm Nancy Wigman. I'm Nancy Wigman, and you're listening to Nancy's Bookshelf on North State Public Radio. My guest graduated from California State University, Chico, with a degree in English, and she studied botany, forestry, range, and wildlife management at Humboldt State University. Louise Wagonette has written a trilogy about life in remote northwestern California. Her first book is White Poplar, Black Locust. And Louise, your last name um, is a little unusual. Maybe you should spell it in case people want to Google you. <laughs> okay. It's spelled W-A-G-E-N-K-N-E-C-H-T. There, there's a couple of silent letters in there. So you have written uh, a book that you have divided into two parts, and the two parts are the name of the title of your book. Part one is White Poplar. Part two is Black Forest. And how did you come up with that division for your book? Well, I, I came up with that division for the first book uh, because I grew up in a very small 
company-owned lumber town on the California-Oregon border called Hilt. The house in Hilt, which was my grandparents' house that I lived in um, until I was eight, um, had a large white poplar tree in the front yard. And um, later, when my mother remarried and we moved to another house in town, um, there was a large black locust tree in the front yard. And I used that, um, I used the trees as a metaphor um, for good times and bad. Well, you just mentioned the name of the town, and it seemed to me like a character in your story, Louise. Tell us again the name of this town that is, it seemed, in my view, a character in your story. Yes, Hilt was um, one of the last company-owned lumber towns um, in the Pacific Northwest. Um, it was a very small, very insular place in uh, the valley of Cottonwood Creek, um, as I said, just under the Oregon border. And um, it, it was a very close-knit society. It was very, um, it was very um, closely knit with the lumber industry, which at the time depended on the, the cutting, excuse me, <coughs> on the cutting of uh, old growth uh, <clears throat> old growth pine and fir, and uh, it it was a world that was e essentially uh, eating itself alive. Um, but it was um, it was a very beloved place to those who who lived there. Well, can we go visit Hilt now if we were driving up toward Oregon? Uh, actually, you can. Uh, you can um, you can pull off at the Hilt exit. Uh, from I-5 just before you cross <clears throat> into Oregon, and uh, you can you can drive down through the place, and uh, the church is still there. Um, the school building is still there, uh, although it's now being used um, as a, a firehouse, basically. And the office of the Fruit Growers Supply Company, which um, owns the town site and a lot of timberland in the area uh, is still there. Um, so it's, uh, it, it's a very evocative place. Uh, uh, a lot of people who used to live there still visit. My guest is Louise Wagonette, and she has written, uh, to me, Louise, it's kind of a combination of memoir and history of Northern California because uh, the two things that I was stressed, uh, struck by the fact that you have such a remarkable memory for your childhood, and the other was that you did a good bit of research on the history of Northern California. Uh, yes, I did. Um, that was, uh, it was kind of a struggle to uh, do some of the research because uh, not a lot has been written um, about the area. But uh, but there were a couple of good sources. Plus, I had uh, uh, I had a couple of family members uh, who had uh, memories that went back further than than mine did, of course. And uh, I I originally uh, published the book in um, two thousand three, uh, but uh, just uh, this past year, it's been reissued in a second edition by Oregon State University Press. Well, I mentioned that you were an English major at Chico State, that your degree was in English, and that shows up in how you begin each chapter. And what do you do? And, and you're not the only one. Other people do this, too. <laughs> but but you begin each chapter for with a quote. Uh, who are some of the people you quote at the start of each chapter? Oh, that's uh, yeah, that's interesting. Um, I'm I'm not sure what led me to um, to want to do epigrams, but but um, yeah, I quote um, I quote I'm I'm actually having to look in my copy right now um, to remember. Um, I do quote um, some old Norse uh, poetry from the Elderetta. Um, and I quote, um, quote the Iliad, 
I, I quote, uh, yes, I, I quote W.H. Auden. Um, Schopenhauer. Yeah, and Schopenhauer. And, uh, um, it, it's a pretty eclectic group. Yeah, it is. It's <laughs> wide-ranging. Well, I mentioned that uh, your memory uh, for your childhood um, was rather amazing to me because you brought back so many memories of my own childhood that I had completely forgotten about. You mentioned, for example, um, the influence of World War II, mm. and you kids, I had a swing in my backyard, and uh -huh. I had an older brother, and I'm sure it was the influence of my older brother, you would swing as high as you could, and when you got at the highest point as you swing, we were swinging forward, we would, uh, you said you would shout, bombs away. <laughs> and you would jump out of the swing. I think, as I recall, we would say, pull the ripcord. And we uh -huh. would jump out and and as if we were uh, parachuting out of a plane on that swing set. And that brought back those memories for me. Um, you also mentioned uh, when you stepped into the library, the smell of that room. And oh, my goodness, I remember that so clearly, the library in my hometown. And yeah. And so, so uh, that, um, how, how did you describe it? Because it would be hard to describe it. Smell to me, just like books. Yeah, that that is remarkable. And I've actually, I have, of course, been in a lot of libraries since then. And the, uh, the closest I ever came to experiencing that smell again was, oddly enough, at Chico, uh, in the old uh, Carnegie Library near yes. the college. Yes. I that... walked in there and it was like, <laughs> boom, <laughs> I know where I am. <laughs> that library is very, brings back memories of the library I grew up with. And since then, a new library has built and it's just not the same. It, it doesn't smell like a library. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's not the same vibe. Another thing you mentioned, playing on the monkey bars. Thought, yeah, my elementary oh, yes. school, we had monkey bars. And I don't think they would let kids, do they let kids play on monkey bars today? I think they would be too afraid of litigation. Yeah, you know, that that's possible because we did some fairly dangerous things up there. Yeah, and there was, yeah, yeah, there was no soft landing underneath. You mentioned somebody also that uh, hunted for arrowheads. And I remember as a kid going out with my brother and cousins, and they were able to find arrowheads. I was too distracted or I didn't know where to look. But that also, uh, that's something that kids couldn't do today, I don't think, is to find arrowheads. Yeah, that's, uh, that that's, uh, it was an interesting hobby, um, although, uh, as I mentioned, um, our next door neighbor used to go out on the Nevada desert and and pick up um, uh, basically obsidian artifacts. And she would take the ones that were that were broken and literally throw them out in the alley. And that was where we kids used to pick them up. And uh, um, yes, yes, pretty. Um, it was archaeological, uh, archaeological mayhem in a way. <laughs> Another thing you mentioned, and I think a lot of people are familiar with this, you said your grandmother gave you and your sister Elizabeth, each one of you, they gave you six ounce bottles of Coca-Cola. And I, of course, I think many, many people were remembering those bottles. They were designed to make it look like you were getting more than just six ounces. Yes. But also, and we did call it Coca-Cola. Like you did, oh, not Coke. Yeah. That was much later. Another thing you mentioned, uh, watching Friday night fights on TV. <laughs> and I remember when my grandparents got a TV, it was, of course, black and white, not very clear. And I thought, gosh, why aren't they watching fights? Why did people watch boxing then, Louise? That's a that's a good question. I, I think partly because my grandfather was interested in uh, in the boxers at that time. And there were some very famous boxers who who used to show up on the Friday night fights. Um, also, it was because that was the only channel we got. Uh, we got one CBS channel, and that was what they had on Friday nights. 
um, for a time were, were boxing matches. And uh, I, I think if my grandfather hadn't been there, he, you know, the TV might have been off. But, you know, grandfather wanted to watch the fight. So, okay, that was what was on television. My guest is Louise Wagonette, and she has written a trilogy. They are memoirs, and the first book is White Poplar, Black Locust. And you describe in your childhood, you caught frogs in the creeks, and uh, but you were selective about the animals that you liked because you weren't didn't mind eating some of them, deer, for example, rabbit that you would eat. In fact, uh, who was Nature Girl? Oh well, that was uh, that was a nickname that uh, was given to me by some of my of my schoolmates, and it, it wasn't meant to be flattering. It was, <laughs> yeah, it was, um, it, it it was, yeah, it was meant to describe someone whose interest in nature was odd, and. Um, um, well, so your interest in nature, because you went on to study botany, forestry, and wildlife management, so your interest in this area goes back to your childhood. Oh, it and, does, yes. Yeah, it was something I was always drawn to. Well, you um, were growing up with your grandparents in this little town, and you had an aunt Joe, oh, your yes. mother's sister, and the town, the name of Chico comes up in your story about Joe, and mm -hmm. it's it's um, not an unusual story. I mean, this happened a lot, but it is disturbing for those of us in living in the 21st century, and what happened to your aunt? Well, my, my aunt uh, uh, became pregnant, and... Um... You know, so, so why did she come to Chico? She came to Chico because her uh, her parents um, brought her down there. They um, they had heard about a doctor in Chico who could, as they said in those days, assist young women in a miscarriage. And uh, uh, so they drove her down there and consulted with this doctor, and the doctor said you know, you're five months along, you know, the, the fetus is kicking. Um, I can't help you at this point. And so at that point, um, and I, I believe he may have, um, you know, put them in touch with an unwed mother's home in Sacramento at that time. Um, and very soon afterwards, she went down to stay there for several months until um, she gave birth to a daughter. And that was, yeah, that was long before a person could get an abortion legally and uh, earlier in, in the term. Um, so, yeah. What was disturbing for us as a reader, and I'm sure you and others in your family, was that your grandfather didn't say, oh, Joe, you poor dear, how can we help? What was his concern? Uh, well, his concern was, it was all about him, that he was afraid that the company uh, would hold it against him as though, gee, you weren't able to control your daughter. Maybe you're not the kind of guy we want for a foreman. Now, in in practice, that would not have happened because, um, uh, frankly, there were other people in Hilt. Um, I, I can actually think of one example of, of uh, a man who, who was a foreman and, and his daughter, um, his daughter, too, got in trouble, as they said then. Um, you know, nothing. The, the company, of course, did not retaliate against him in any way. Uh, why would they? But grandfather seemed to feel that it left him vulnerable. So, um, and th and that was the thing about grandfather. It, things tended to always be about him. My guest is Louise Wagonette, and she has written a trilogy. 
It's a memoir, and the first book in that trilogy is White Poplar, Black Locust. And you say that your grandfather was worried about himself and his job rather than being concerned about his daughter. And there's a quote in your book, and your mother, you're saying your mother said this to you. And I think it's so unfortunately true in a lot of families. Here's what you write you, that your mother said to you some years later. Said, you can't live another person's life for them. When I went to nursing school, it was because my mother had wanted to be a nurse and never got the chance. I thought it was up to me to complete that dream for her. But I couldn't because in the end, I really didn't want it for myself. But dad more or less forced Joe to go to college because that was what he had wanted and couldn't have. He should have known it doesn't work like that. And you hear a lot of parents that um, maybe uh, their son wants to be a musician and no, 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 you're going to be a doctor. And your, your mother recognized that. She says you can't live another person's life for them. Yes, that is, yes, yes. And it's, and she says, I went to nursing school because my mother had wanted to be a nurse and she wasn't able to, to complete that training. And why was she not able to do that? Um, yeah, she, in the end, she decided not to complete the training. Um, it was during the Second World War, and she had done, uh, she'd actually done two years of pre-nursing uh, work at um, what was then Southern Oregon College in Ashland. Um, and then the next step was to go up to um, a very large hospital in Portland, um, uh, where she essentially became a trainee floor nurse. And at, at one point, um, it was during the war, so they were short-staffed, and she was um, she was doing double shifts and really working hard. And at one point, um, uh, a young man who had he had dived into um, a creek or a swimming pool or something and um, sustained a very bad head injury, um, and then he later died, but. Before he died, he was actually, his body had shut down. He was actually decomposing. And so mother got stuck with doing what they called um, uh, a pre-postmortem, uh, which involved cleaning the body. And it was, he was just sort of coming apart. And it was all very horrible. And she completed the job, but then she said, that's it. I'm out of here. And uh, and she quit. And um, she moved back to Ashland and went to work in a bank. And uh, well, you know, uh, this story is probably well, it's rather exaggerating. Certainly uh, it's I mean, it made her sick and it makes us sick to think of that. Oh, that yeah. she was treated that way. But uh, a friend of mine who went to nursing school said that when he was in school, uh, this classmate of his began seeing, oh, you mean we've got to clean up this patient that's in this situation? <laughs> and she walked out right there and never came back. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, mom. Yeah. Yeah. Mom. Mom would have been fine with, um, with, with, with all the normal effluvia of the human body, but that was a little too much. Yeah. 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 Well, um, on that <laughs> rather unpleasant note, <laughs> I would like to move on to um, what happened to Joe, and uh, she she got married, and your mother got married, and, yes. and um, who were these two new members of your family? Uh, well, my my um, my aunt Joe married uh, uh, a man named Carl. Uh, who was uh, from a family uh, over in the Rogue Valley. Um, she'd known him for, for a couple of years, and he's a nice guy. At the time, he was in the Air Force, um, and uh, they moved back to Oklahoma City, where he was stationed at an air base. Um, and then my mother um, married. He, she, she didn't he, have to keep it a secret that she had had a child. 
Joe didn't. Oh no! Oh no! He he knew about it. Um, he he knew that she had had a child. Uh, although, um, it, it was kind of a family secret. It wasn't advertised. Um, uh, when when Joe came back from um, having the child and giving it up for adoption, um, you know, it it was probably a fairly open secret among um, friends of hers, but. Yeah, not something you advertised. Well, and then you had just started to say that your mother got married. Yes, my mother got married um, to a forester named John Brannan, um, who came to work uh, for fruit growers um, uh, in 1957, um, after, um, it, it was after a large uh, fire called Haystack Burn. Um, and they hired, the company hired uh, new foresters to deal with the salvage uh, operations. And, uh, and he came down from Oregon. He was, uh, he was from the Corvallis area and, uh, and began to take an interest in mother who worked at the office. My guest is Louise Wagonette, and she has written a trilogy. We were talking about her first book, White Poplar, Black Locust. And um, <laughs> one quote that I liked, um, because you were so close to nature, you went hunting, you, uh, your family ate deer, but you also ate um, plant life, for example. And oh, yeah. at one point, your sister said, we didn't go on vacations. We went on food gathering expeditions. <laughs> <laughs> that that was so true. Um especially then and in later years um uh when, when yeah we well, were uh, louise i want to thank you for writing this book because it's uh like i say for me i don't know about other readers but it was really a trip down memory lane that you could remember your elementary school teachers names and all these details about the students and it was really jogging my memory but mine's nowhere near as good as yours is plus uh, i found the history of Northern California. So interesting, the various immigrants from various countries that came. And so I think readers, if they're interested in uh, little known history of Northwestern California, they'll want to pick up a copy of this book. So thank you, Louise. Yes, I'm so glad you enjoyed it. My guest has been Louise Wagonette and her book, the first in a trilogy, White Poplar, Black Locust. I would also like to thank my first guest, journalist Catherine Reed, who's written a book, Sleeping with Strangers, an Airbnb host life in Lake Tahoe and Mexico. You've been listening to Nancy's Bookshelf, a production of North State Public Radio. You can find this and other episodes of Nancy's Bookshelf on our website, mynspr.org.